Good morning, church. I hope you are well. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is where we are headed as we continue our way through the Psalms. So it's a good thing that I stayed at a distance last Sunday. As most of you know, uh, by last Sunday evening, I tested positive with COVID. And so I spent this past week going through all of that. Still have a little bit of congestion, as you may be able to hear. Uh, thank you for all of you uh, who sent really kind messages and, and, and support uh, to me and Caitlin. She is doing much better. She's a few days ahead of me in terms of recovery. I'm mostly past it, um, but I'm joining you on video once more just to be sure I don't pass on any potentially lingering virus to anyone. So hopefully I'll be back with you in person in the flesh next week, but for now, here we are again. Now, I mentioned in this week's email that I sent a couple days ago that being sick this week may have inadvertently prepared me to preach Psalm 30. There are many scholars who believe that this psalm may very well have been written after coming through a severe illness, a truly severe illness, one much more severe than what I experienced this week. Uh, the, the psalmist, as, as he writes Psalm 30, seems to have been convinced that they were very near death. Multiple times throughout this psalm uh, that we're about to read, we're going to hear references to the depths the pit, the realm of the dead, all different ways of describing death. But the psalmist made it through and now sings this psalm as a praise for that deliverance. And so let's read together Psalm 30, beginning in verse 1. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, 
Thank you for being a God who delivers from the depths. A God who lifts us up. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was talking with my dad on the phone yesterday, uh, and, and he reminded me that this psalm was my grandmother's favorite. She read it often, and, and she would always leave her Bible laying open to Psalm 30 throughout the day so she could return to it time and again. Uh, that page in her Bible was tattered, worn, faded, and nearly falling out after all of that attention and, and exposure, right, being laid open there. Um, but, but there's just something about Psalm 30 that caused my grandmother to return to it over and over again. And I think there is something uniquely hopeful about this psalm and psalms like it. There's something that sets this kind of psalm apart from others in a very unique way. Uh, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann describes it this way. He, he categorizes the psalms into three essential categories. Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Psalms of orientation are songs of praise when everything is the way that it's meant to be. Everything is right in the world. The Lord is my shepherd. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? Everything is good. These psalms of orientation, everything's the way it should be. But then there are psalms of disorientation. They're desperate cries whenever nothing is the way that it should be. Things like, how long, O Lord, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Much of our life has lived somewhere between orientation and disorientation. Somewhere between praise and plea, between rejoicing and desperation. You see, the Psalms teach us how to pray in both of these ways. Moments whenever life is the way that it is meant to be, everything is beautiful, and moments whenever nothing is the way it is meant to be, and everything is falling apart. But Brueggemann describes this third category as well, and it's called reorientation. Psalms of reorientation are powerful stories of going through that desperation and hopelessness, yet finding life on the other side. And that, I think, is what makes this kind of psalm uniquely hopeful. You see, if we only had praise psalms of orientation, then after a while they'd start to feel fake, right? I mean, they'd be happy and clappy, but, but after a while they wouldn't feel true because we know that life is not always the way it's supposed to be. And then, you know, if we only had desperate psalms of, 
of disorientation. Well, they would be very honest and raw and very cathartic, I'm sure. But after a while, we'd probably start to wonder, hang on, is there any hope? Is, is there any good news here? But Psalms of reorientation hold all of this together. Yes, there are moments when life is beautiful and good. Let us praise God in those times. And and yes, there are times when everything falls apart and nothing makes sense. Let's cry out to God in those times. But even beyond that, yes, there is hope beyond the hopelessness. There is a time of reorientation whenever things will begin to be made right once more. Psalm 30 is one of these psalms of reorientation. It's a psalm of going through despair, but finding life on the other side. And we can hear that from the very start. First few verses, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths, did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. This is a psalm of praise, but it is a praise that is familiar with the depths. It is a praise that has glimpsed the realm of the dead. And that's how you know that it's real, it's true, sincere praise, right? There is joy, but it is hard-fought joy. This psalm is not a Hallmark movie where everything is safe, uh, everyone's smiling and getting along. It's real, it's gritty, but the joy is all the more real and all the more true. Sometimes it can be easy to think that the depths or experiencing despair is some kind of lack of faith or antithesis to faith. But what I want to suggest is that facing these things actually verifies our faith. It actually makes our faith more real, more true. Going through hard things moves us from cheap surface level smiles to a deep, hard fought joy that can only come from faith in God who lifts us from the depths. So the psalmist opens by telling his story of facing the depths and calling out for help. I wonder, what what is your story? I've gotten to know many of you and hear some of your stories. I know you have them, right? What is your story? Maybe a painful relationship, a physical illness, a mental battle, a recurring sin, a destructive habit, maybe even a literal near-death experience. What is your story of facing the depths and calling out for help? Maybe it it happened decades ago, or, or maybe you're right in the middle of it now, that season of disorientation. 
You see, that this story that you have, it's not just a story. Just like the psalm, it's a prayer. Right? That experience is a reason to turn to God, to open your heart. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. That's what the psalm calls us to. But look, there's even more than that. Right? Our, our, our stories are, are just that. They're, they're stories and they're prayers, but, but it's more. Our stories are something to be shared. Our stories are meant to be testimonies that we share with one another. Look at the next couple of verses, verses 4 and 5. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The psalmist moves from sharing his story to calling all the people to worship God. And this is the most amazing thing. He begins to describe attributes of God and life, right? He says, sing all you faithful people. And then he goes on from his story to say his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Right? The psalmist's story is not just about him. Ultimately, it's a story about God, for God's people. And the very same thing is true for you. Your stories and your experiences are not just interesting bits of biography about you. They are actually deep wells of theology about God. You don't need a library of big, dusty books for theology. You only need to reflect on your own life, just like the psalmist does. Your story isn't just about you. It's about God, and it's meant to be shared with others so that we can all be moved to praise God together. It's why I love our story groups that many of you have been participating in over the last few months. Right? They are a space where we intentionally gather to share our stories and prayerfully reflect on them together. Right? Story groups are not just a fun get-to-know-each-other social event. They are a sacred space where we reflect on our lives, where we share our stories of orientation and disorientation and find the hope of reorientation together. If you've been a part of one, I hope you've experienced a little bit of this. And if you haven't been a part of one, I hope you might consider trying it out when we open up space for new groups this fall. See, our, our stories make us who we are, but, but they're also meant to point us to who God is. They're meant to be a testimony for all of God's people. That's what this psalm shows us. Now, the psalm could easily end right here in verse 5. And it would be a short psalm, but, but complete, right? It would be great. But the psalmist has more to share. He has more details to share from his story. 
because it's not just a story for, for testimony. Uh, he also has some wisdom that he's gleaned from this experience. So he goes back to the past tense and shares once more in verses six to seven. He says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. As he returns to his story, he journeys a little bit deeper. He not only rejoices because of his deliverance, but, but now he reflects on what he's learned. Right? He says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. But now I know better. Right? We have a tendency to be lulled into a sense of false security. A sense that nothing's going to go wrong. Right? Everything's okay. You know, there are problems in the world that we know about, but that's out there for those people. Uh, we can easily be lulled into false security. And in the midst of this, we often can end up assuming that we are in control of our lives, right? That we are the authors of our own success and our own security. But moments of crisis have a way of showing us that this is all a mirage, None of that is true. And so this psalm shows us not only how crisis can refine our faith, but also how crisis can teach us wisdom. The wisdom that I am not in control. Rather, we, we are constantly reliant on God. God is the one who provides security. Right? As someone who's called to, to lead, to be a leader, it's something that, that I can wrestle with sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's, it's really easy to kind of believe that everything is up to me, that, that I have to do it all. But this past week, whenever I was out like a light for a few days, just completely unconscious and hardly good for anything, uh, God not so gently refuted that mistaken belief, right? <laughs> there were meetings that I had to cancel. There were things I couldn't attend, and, and I had to trust that God would carry on being God while I was out of commission. And you see, this is the way that it actually should be all the time, right? It's not like usually things are up to me or up to, up to us, but you know, because I'm sick, now God's got to take care of it. No, it's always up to God. God is always the one in charge. But we have a tendency to forget that. And so the, the psalmist learned that his false security was, in fact, false. His security has always relied on the favor and the presence of God. And so his loss of security taught him something about true security, right? It, it's, it's God who does this. And, and his brush with death goes on to teach him something about life, which he reflects on in this next section. In verse 9, he asks a series of questions. He says, what is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Right? The psalmist basically says, if I die, 
I won't be able to praise you or proclaim your faithfulness, which is another way of saying the purpose of life is to praise you and to proclaim your faithfulness, right? As he has come close to death, he has become closer to realizing the purpose of life praise and proclamation of God. Just like theology is not confined to dusty libraries, so worship is not confined to church buildings. Our stories are living theologies showing us who God is, and our daily lives are worship services proclaiming who God is. Every moment is meant to be worship. Tomorrow at 10 a.m., right? Where, where are you? You're at your job. You're playing with your kids. You're running your errands, right? Tomorrow at 10 a.m., that's worship. That's worship. <laughs> it, it makes me think, you know, we have our worship service information posted on our sign out front Sunday, 1045 a.m., Right? Lots of churches do this. You've probably seen some churches that have multiple services. You know, it says something like 9 a.m. in the chapel, 11 a.m. in the auditorium, 5 p.m. in the fellowship hall, so on and so forth, right? Well, what if we posted, our church is having worship Monday, 10 a.m. in Federal Way, in Edgewood, in Auburn, in Kent, in Des Moines, in Puyallup, in Renton, in Redmond, you get the picture, right? Our worship doesn't stop when we leave this building, right? We, we continue to live and worship as we go from here. Tomorrow, Monday, 10 a.m., wherever you are, that's the worship service, right? What does it look like for your daily life to be worship service for God? That's the purpose of life, every moment of every day, praising God, proclaiming his faithfulness. So it, it, we arrive at the final two verses of the psalm, which return to the place that the psalm began. The psalmist praises God for deliverance. He says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. The psalm began by rejoicing for being brought up from the realm of the dead and spared from going down to the pit. And here it ends with rejoicing because God has turned wailing into dancing. God has removed sackcloth and given the clothing of joy. Truly, God has done this for us. He has removed our sackcloth by clothing himself in flesh and coming to dwell among us. He has brought us up from the realm of the dead by going down to it himself in his death on the cross, but he's done even more. You see, Jesus did not merely spare us from going down to the pit 
as the psalm says. Jesus has actually shown us the way through the pit. He has shown us the way through the realm of the dead, and it is the way of resurrection. Jesus does not merely remove our wailing. He turns it into dancing as he transforms death into resurrection. This is the good news. This is the hope beyond hopelessness. Resurrection is the ultimate reorientation. When all that is wrong can be made right again. So let our hearts sing and not be silent. Let us rely on God with whole lives of worship. Let us tell our stories and proclaim his faithfulness. He is the one that we praise. He is the one we adore. Let our hearts sing praises and not be silent. Let us praise the Lord forever. Amen.